0: Welcome to another episode of Bible How to Study. I'm your host, Lindsay Esterlein, and I am so glad that you're joining us today. On this episode, we'll be focusing on the principle of cultural context and how that can enhance and enrich our understanding of the Bible's scripture. If you're on the go, we have those notes covered for you. Just visit our website at biblehowto.com and click on the link. For the PDFs associated with this episode or any other episode, I would like to welcome Dr. Philip Simon, Professor Emeritus of Applied Theology at Southern Adventist University and author and preacher of Christ's Way Ministry. So, welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Simon.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful. So today, our big question has to do with cultural context and how we understand cultural context of the scriptures and how that might enhance or change our understanding of a particular passage that we're reading. So why don't you briefly tell us why you're so uniquely qualified to speak on this topic?
1: Well, because I taught the course, Life and Teaching of Jesus, for decades. I always thought of writing a book about the culture of Jesus and how to understand his parables, miracles, ministry in the Middle Eastern context. Also, I was born in that part of the world, so I understand the culture, I live the culture. So I finally wrote a book about it entitled, the Middle East Messiah, cultural insights into his life and ministry. And uh, now I use it in my lectures, my classes, and many people use it in their ministry to enrich and deepen their understanding of Christ.
0: Awesome. I got me a copy here, and I've got it tabbed up. So so we'll I'm we'll sorry,
1: I should up. have autographed a copy and sent to you as a <laughs> gift.
0: That's all right. I've got it covered. Okay, so... Is there a particular, so we've got a lot of cultural context if we think about the entire Bible because, you know, America is such a young nation and and so American Western culture in general, it seems far removed from Middle Eastern culture. But then on top of that, we've got thousands of years removing us, right? So... Sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. Is there a particular passage of Scripture that you wish people understood the cultural context Yes,
1: yes. Well, for example, um, you know, when Jesus washed the feet of Judas, you know, just shortly before he was to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, and when... In our western minds we look at that narrative we think of jesus as being loving forgiving caring sympathetic and that's true but if we dig deeper into it by understanding the culture then it has a more rich meaning like this in that part of the world during jesus time and during my um life in that part of the world and even till today the head represents the most sacred and noble part of the body
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know like people swear by their head right uh, and then the feet represents the most base the most filthy part of the body i mean when i first came to the united states when i was a teenager attending high school you know a big guy a football player was sitting just in front of me and he propped his boots on the desk of the professor who was sitting behind the desk and so i couldn't see the face of the professor because his boots his feet were blocking the view and to me to him it was just that's okay but to me it was saying to the professor in a very graphic way the best thing about you my professor your head is not worthy of my feet the best thing about you is not worthy of my worst now i didn't mean it that way but coming from that culture i saw that now i'm not recommending for any students to do that but that's the picture i saw so then when jesus lowered himself at that time they didn't sit in chairs or pews or they just ate and visited as they sat on the rugs and uh, skin, animal skins, for example, and mm-hmm. so then the head of Jesus, as he bowed down, probably came very close to touching the the feet of Judas. In that act of humility, the clear message was to the disciples, and hopefully to our times, they that that uh, Judas with all what you plan to do. The worst thing, to sell your master, I'm telling you right now, I love you to the extent that I want to use my best, which is a lot, to help you at your worst. Wow. And as Jesus washed his feet, he felt Christ's love penetrating his heart through and through. But he was too proud. He was embarrassed to lose face before disciples who thought, he was the best among them. He then decided not to respond to God's love. But the lesson of that is uh, is the question we ask when we are teaching or preaching. What's the worst thing about you? What's the thing you're most ashamed of? You don't want to tell anybody about it. Nobody knows about it. What's the worst thing about you? I want to assure you right now that Jesus is more than eager to use his best. To help you at the worst thing that you are ashamed of so in that way that enriches it more
0: yes i mean i think most people understand how maybe unideal it would be to wash a group of men's feet after they had been out on the dusty streets right right right? and and how that is still a humbling experience that jesus you know i've
1: done that as a youngster to some of our guests my parents yes. only do it to our guests. And I still remember Lizzie, you're very perceptive because the streets are dusty and so the water from washing their feet would turn black. Oh. Very really dark. So you can tell how much dust. And to think of it that Jesus, the holy hands of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, were looking were touching that dark, filthy water. Which really enhances the point that the worst thing about us, our feet, considered the most base, the God of Universe, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, is saying to us, "I'm showing you. I'm eager to help you at your worst. There's nothing I cannot succeed at doing if you, if you're willing to open your heart to me." Which is very encouraging to everybody. I mean, can you imagine if you are giving a worship talk to a group of kids and say, Jesus is eager to use his best to help you at your worst. So what's the worst thing about you that you are so ashamed of, you cannot even pray about? He is ready to do that. He did this. He was ready to do this at Judas. You know, instead of resisting, just open your heart and help him. Let him help you. Was the worst thing about Absolutely.
0: You. And then to later, you know, at the table, he, he he obviously knew what Judas was planning and he still Yes. He still tried to send that message. Still tried to send
1: the message for his him. sake, for our sake, but he left it to the decision of Judas. He couldn't coerce his decision. And, right. and Judas, you know, in that culture, another thing about the culture, it's it's very terrible to lose faith. Mm. I mean, so embarrassing. People, men would be willing to die and not lose face, And that's what Judas was stuck with. He convinced the disciples that he was honest, yet he was a thief. That he was the best, the most educated, the most cultured. And you know, uh, you remember, Lindsay when uh, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. Nobody thought of Judas. In fact, you know, the disciples, is it me? Is it me? They're even suspecting themselves in case they committed a sin of omission. And yeah. Judas was quiet and they never thought of him. In fact, when Jesus told him, You can go and do what you want, they thought he asked him to go and make preparation for the for the feast. He didn't know. And so he it was so hard for him, I'm not excusing, it's so hard for him to lose faith before his friends. And on I say to my students, i'd rather have you lose faith many times over than lose eternal life
0: absolutely absolutely so in in the same vein of foot washing right we we have the story of mary magdalene in mark 14 and also in, yes. in luke 7 yes so how how does cultural context enlighten that story
1: You know, that fits into the story of Judas, except Mary is the one serving Jesus and not Jesus serving Mary. So now we can look at it from the other angle. And also, we're talking about a man, Judas, but now we're talking about a woman. Uh, Judas pretended all along that he was a loyal follower of Jesus. Pretended. Uh, Mary was very devoted and genuine, authentic. So for example, in that part of the world, if you have a guest come to your house, there are certain things you do. Uh, first of all, you give them a kiss on the cheek. Mm. Secondly, you put few drops of olive oil on on their head. Okay. We don't do that. It looks kind of strange. No. The third thing we do is we wash their feet. And this will show them they're really special friends. When Jesus came to Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee, Jesus healed him from leprosy. And now, you know, in that culture, the obligation is you got to return the favor. If somebody invites for a meal, you got, you're obligated to invite him back. In this In this American culture, that doesn't really count. You know, we invite no. many people to our homes and people say, well, I got a meal out of it, but they don't necessarily return the favor. That's okay. I'm used to that. We do yeah. it because we enjoy it. But there is an obligation. Even mm. if you don't want to invite back, you're obligated. I mean, people start talking about you and neighbor and say, can you imagine? Jesus healed Simon from leprosy and Simon didn't do anything for Jesus. It would be embarrassed. So he did it out of obligation. And we know that because when okay. Jesus enters his house, He didn't kiss him on the cheek. He didn't wash his feet. He didn't anoint his head lord, which was saying, speaking volumes, I'm doing it just out of duty. And I don't want anybody to know that I really care about you a lot. I don't want people to know I'm your special friend. Why? Politically, if Jesus amounted to something, he would have said, well, I invited him. I met my duty. If Jesus didn't amount to anything, he could always say, well, I just, I didn't treat him in a special way. Mm. So he was sitting on the fence.
0: Yeah, he's playing a game.
1: Mary wasn't sitting on the fence. She came determined no. to show her love and devotion to Christ. She didn't care what people thought of her. Wonder be wonderful if we can re- reach out to Jesus regardless what people think of us just because we love him. Absolutely. So because she did not have the basin, the water towels, her eyes served as the containers. Hmm? Didn't have water, but the tears served as the water. Now notice, everything I'm saying here comes from the head area, the most noble part of the body. And then she didn't have a towel. It wasn't her house. She wasn't the hostess. Mm. I mean, Simon had a towel. He didn't use it. He had water he didn't use. Mm. And then she didn't have a towel, but her long hair, which is the honor of a woman, honor for women, woman, in the head area served as the towel. And that's why Jesus contrasted. If you look at the narrative carefully, he contrasted. He said, and she smothered, my face with kisses. From the time I arrived here, and and so you know, and the lips, the lips are on the face area. So there you got the 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 eyes, the tears, the lips, the hair. We're talking about four things here, all from the head area, saying to Jesus, "I want to use my best to serve you at your feet." She didn't even feel worthy of doing that because even at the beginning of the story, when she entered the house, she was talking to Jesus behind him, not face to face. In other words, she didn't practice what we call today, you know, uh, eyeballing him. Hmm. Today in the Western culture, we want people to look us in the eye. Right. Because. We, they need to come across as honest. They're not hiding anything. But in that culture, to come to Jesus and look him in the eye for her as a woman would have been too much, like she wasn't worthy. So she talked to him, not eye to eye, but behind him because she didn't feel worthy of being in his presence. Oh, wow. And you know, how, many, how much we can learn from that when we come to to God's presence in worship or in prayer, how often we see people being silly, just joking around as if it's it's just a social club. Yeah. To come to the presence of God and learn from Mary, Lord, I am so glad I'm here, but I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You know, just like when this man who came to Jesus For a miracle, he said, Lord, I believe. Help don't my unbelief. What did that mean? Meaning, I'm trying to believe, but my faith is not good enough. So I'm doing my best, kneeling at your feet. Please take what I have in my faith and uh, help it. And, you know, in, in the book, I go further and I say, you know, when I come to Jesus in prayer, I say, Lord, I admit my faith is feeble. Yes. But I decide to indict my feeble faith with your formidable faith. I want my little faith to join your big faith. And so this is how I can grow my faith as I come to Jesus.
0: So the other question that I have for you then, it, because you've shown us the richness that sh- that culture can, can expand for us in the scriptures. But how do we know when we need to check? context the cultural context because like I said sometimes you don't know what you don't know. so should we do it for every scripture that we read and study?
1: Well not every scripture but you know things like these stories I mentioned to you the two stories you can tell almost instinctively that it's different than the American culture, the Western culture why would why would Mary use her hair? I mean, have you ever seen American woman do that? No. no. So it's different. So let me check it out. And see, why would she do that? Why would Jesus compliment her, affirm her for doing that? Um, you know, um, for example, uh, would would a leader, would a very important person who has thousand employees, very high position. Lower himself and wash the feet of his workers? No. Mm. So then this is not according to our culture. So we know from the context, it's a different culture. So we'll find out, do some research, find out what's the culture. Uh, Why would Jesus think of Mary that way? You know, and remember when she came, it's interesting that Jesus, the Bible calls him the Lamb of God. Laid from the foundation of the world. Very interesting. And a lamb was fragrance before it was sacrificed, representing Jesus. And Paul, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, he says, Jesus loved us so much, and he walked all the way to the cross to give himself as a sacrifice for a sweet smelling aroma. Very interesting how he associated. His sacrifice on the cross with sweet-smelling fragrance. And that goes back to Mary's experience Mm. when she broke that alabaster box. Okay. At the body of Jesus, on the body of Jesus, and sweet fragrance came forth and filled the whole household, the whole house of Simon. And Simon couldn't hide it anymore. If you show your love to Jesus, you cannot hide it. People Mm. have to smell the sweet fragrance. Not only his house, but the sweet fragrance of the gospel filled the whole world. You cannot hide it. But then you see the broken alabaster box, the broken jar represent the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross. Sweet fragrance of nard came forth, filled the whole house. A sweet fragrance of the gospel came forth from the cross to fill the world. So that's some of the symbolism.
0: Yeah. So understanding symbolism is going to go hand in hand with the culture as well, because you've got to you've got to understand where those symbols are coming from.
1: And Jesus even affirmed that by saying, "Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever the gospel, and the good news diffused around the world." Mm -hmm. this experience of Mary would be told in remembrance of her. And that's why Jesus said, she came ahead of time to anoint my body for burial. That's what he said, literally. And what did he mean by that? Ah, she came ahead of time. You know, that teaches a lesson uh, to show kindness and love for people. Let's do it while they're living. Because in this culture, sometimes, You know, um, people might, older people might be in a nursing home, hardly many calls on them. They're lonely. Yet when they die, a lot of flowers, a lot of ceremony, whatever we do. And whenever I conduct a funeral or a memorial service, in my heart I say, why didn't we show a lot of that before they die?
0: Mm. So
1: Jesus knows that she came ahead of time, to anoint my body. And so what can we do as followers of Christ to reach out to people, our loved ones, our friends, ahead of time to show kindness?
0: Right. It's really hard to take one aspect or one principle of Bible study and and divorce it from another principle because they, they all go hand in hand in helping you to explore the depths of what, what god has put into his scripture for us to find and and so i i wanted to focus on the the one principle of culture because i wanted to highlight how important it is in in the deep understanding of the message that god has for us in some of these stories but you're you're right i mean there's it's it's so hard to look at the, those kinds of stories and say well i'm going to i'm going to ignore this other idea
1: very interesting example and that is the saying of jesus it's harder for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven
0: yeah you know how many so I've heard many one.
1: i read that interpretations over and over again and now in the Western world, what do we do with it? We, 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 we want to explain it away by saying, well, I think the gate of Jerusalem had side gates that a camel and his Lord can go through it. Was Jesus saying it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Was he saying that? No. No, he was saying it's a challenge it's possible but it's difficult it sounds
0: very difficult yes
1: because the words that translated camel you know when you study greek hebrew other languages then what happens is that one word in greek or hebrew aramaic chaldean arabic can have different meanings right this less you could have two or three meanings and then how do you decide The context decides. And what's the context? The context Jesus talking about needles and sewing and a thread. A camel, if you take a test where you have to match different things together, a camel doesn't match with a needle. No. Right. Okay. The meaning determined by the context is not just a camel, but a thick, thick um, thread, thick thread. And so my dad would say to her, are you trying to to take this thick thread and make it enter the alpha needle? She said, well, if I try hard enough, it's possible. Yeah. And she would narrow it, narrow it, narrow it. And I was observing this as a child. And finally, she put the end of it there and she pulled it, forced it inside. And she did her work of sewing.
0: Yeah.
1: And and what was was Nicodemus rich? Rich. Yeah. Was Joseph Arimathea rich? Rich, yes, very rich. Did Jesus save them? Are they going yeah, to enter the kingdom of heaven? Yes. But it was a challenge. How many members of the Sanhedrin and then the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it was very hard. They are the ones who decided to crucify Jesus. Yes. So, so when you when you look at it in its context, then it becomes easy to understand. It makes more sense. Uh, and you know, don't you, rich people in this country?
0: Well, you know, not maybe the one percenters in America, but I do know some people. But I
1: don't mean the ones who are close friends of yours. but <laughs> generally speaking, you know, rich people.
0: Oh, yes. You mean, I know of Jeff Bezos, right? It's, but, Bill but Gates. But he
1: would give them hope that they could be saved, right?
0: Oh, absolutely, yes.
1: And that's what Jesus was saying. If we insist it is a camel and we choose the one interpretation of the other two, trying to force the camera neither. We're just sending the message. Hey, rich people cannot be saved. I mean, okay. I mean we have here we have here Little Debbie. Have you heard of Little Debbie?
0: Yes. The the snack cakes.
1: Do you have you ever tried it?
0: A long time ago, yeah. When you I was a visit us sometimes. It was a staple in the lunchbox.
1: The reason I'm mentioning that is because the McKee family is rich,
0: mm. yeah, it makes sense.
1: But they donate a lot of money whether mm-hmm. to God's work around the world to Southern Adventist University. They just build a park for families and kids to enjoy in College Dale. I don't know how much it costs, but it's just a gift to the community so. You can be rich, but you can be saved, depending how you respond to God's offer. But many rich people are so caught up in the blessings of God, they forget about the blesser.
0: Right. God's well, gift we do sometimes
1: not... can shift people's attention away from the giver.
0: Absolutely. I don't think we need to have the kind of money that the McKee family has in order to lose sight of the giver sometimes. I'm guilty of that myself, so... In this book, um, you talked about because we were talking about how some of these uh, study principles can't be separated that that it's all part of the same process right And you have um, some Bible study steps in here and I think I mentioned to you that are that are very similar to another guest of ours on this podcast um where dr talbot had outlined a three-step process and um and you have a three-step process as well and i just wanted to point out uh to our listeners that if they were to grab a copy of this book which is which is a, a great book because there's so m- much in here that and, would help and this guide is,
1: we ran away from the old edition.
0: Yes, I'm so old young. One.
1: Why do you hold on to old edition? I should send you <laughs> the new one.
0: <laughs> it's so just the green, cover, though. The content is still good. Edition. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The... Hold
1: on to it. <laughs> but but so... when I see you, I'll give you the new one. Okay. Anyway. Wonderful. So, so, so in the book, I, I, have, I have presented two disciplines in this particular chapter you're referring to about. How to taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, Bible study should be tasteful. Mm-hmm. Should be delicious. The <laughs> Lord advised <laughs> to taste him and know yes. he's good. Okay? Because often, what do we do? Often, we like to focus on testing the word of God, but not tasting it. Okay. We we focus on discussing the word of God, but not digesting it. Mm. we focus analyzing the word of God to death, but not assimilating it so it becomes a part of our being.
0: So yes. that's the
1: focus here. And I call that relational Bible study. Often people study the Bible to find the right text, to show somebody wrong or right. Now I'm talking about how to enhance our relationship with Jesus. So I call it relational Bible study. Okay. And so if we're looking at a story from the life of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so then there are certain questions we ask. And psychologically, they help to build up our faith in Jesus. Some people meet for a Bible study, prayer meeting, whatever. And the first thing they talk about is what? All the problems they have. Mm. How life is difficult and discouraging. And the more they talk about it... (laughs) the more they become discouraged. Right. And I say in the book, the first step is to ask the question, let's say the story of Jesus stealing the storm on the Sea of Galilee. We're all familiar with that. Right. From the Gospel of Mark. The question we ask, the first one, what does this story tell me about Jesus? Mm-hmm. Why? Because we want to fill our minds with Jesus so that we can relate to life better. Like, you know, the score says, turn your eyes upon Jesus first, mm-hmm. and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Yes. And like we're told in the book, Steps to Christ, turn your eyes away from self and focus on the Savior. There's so much of self today. It's high time, we focus on the Savior, because there's only hope and life in the Savior. And so I ask the question: What does it teach me about Jesus? Before I ask questions about others, let's talk about Jesus first. Yes. And so then, in my spiritual diet, I have the uh, some answers to say: Oh, what does it teach me about Jesus? Oh, he is he is bigger than any storm I'm facing. You know, to let this sink Amen. in. I mean, what 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 storm are you facing? Oh, it's huge. It's too big. Oh, but Jesus, the captain of your life, is bigger than the biggest storm you face.
0: He can handle
1: it. See, that now your faith is beginning to be built up. Oh, Jesus also doesn't abandon ship. He's a good captain, doesn't abandon ship during a storm. So when you go through a storm, Jesus doesn't abandon you Mm -hmm. like some friends do. You know, you face a crisis, they leave you. Jesus never leaves you when you're in a storm. He's a good captain. I mean, th- then I list, you know, seven, eight, nine things. Uh, Jesus doesn't blame the disciples. He does not focus on the problem, he focuses on the solution. He stretched forth his hand and said, Peace be still. Uh, and, you know, in the book, I mentioned like seven, eight things. Mm-hmm. and as we dwell on these things about you what happens we feel that our faith is being built up and then the second question is what does it tell me about the characters in the story in the situation disciples what does it tell me about them i saved myself to the end i want to know how jesus helped others that he might help me what does it tell me about the disciples oh they felt very spiritual it was nice sunset they're in the boat with jesus Everything was spiritual and fine.
0: Mm. You know,
1: when we go to church on Sabbath to worship, you know, uh, and then we have to face Sunday and Monday. So anyway, they felt very spiritual because everything was going well. And all of us are out of nowhere. And some storms we face, it's not because we bring them upon us, because they thrust upon us from the outside. Right. And so there's a storm unexpected. Somebody is hit with cancer. Mm. God forbid a child is hurt. And it's a shocking thing. It's a storm. And so then, what does it tell us about disciples? Well, when they hit with a storm suddenly, they became very discouraged, despondent. They forgot about Jesus, and they began to help themselves, to keep themselves alive. Mm. And then in the darkness of the storm, in the darkness in the boat, somebody stumbled on the body of Jesus. Jesus <laughs> was asleep in the midst of a storm. And they were, they were really upset. We said, don't you care? We perish. Of course he cares. Yeah. And he stood up. He stood up. He is the Lord of the wind and the sky and the storm. Nothing is impossible for him. That's our Lord. That's the one who's taking care of us. And he said, simply peace be still and everything was quieted wow wouldn't you like to have jesus stretch forth his hand powerful above your life above your soul and say peace be still absolutely absolutely so that's what it teaches about our disciples that often when things are going well we're fine we're careless you know we, we but then, when a storm is hit, we don't have the spiritual reservoir to say, "Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him." We lose our bearing; we we get rattled. You see, right. so that's what it teach me about disciples. I should always have the spiritual reservoir that, in case of a crisis, I can go to Jesus first. Right. And I already answered the third question, and that's what does it teach me about myself. Oh, I'm like disciples sometimes. May I learn the valuable lesson not to try to be saved by my own works, not to try to save myself from a crisis by my own works. Jesus is a specialist in storms. My specialty is to go to him. He is the only one who can still the storm. If I try to still it, I make a mess of it. Yes. And and let's say if Jesus, in his own wisdom and foreknowledge, doesn't choose to still the storm, not everybody is healed from cancer or heart disease. Yet, Jesus, for his own wise reason, he remains the captain. He is with us in the boat, in the storm, and he's steering the wheel, and we're next to him. We're facing the storm with Jesus. We should be Man. okay. Yes. And then, yes. two more questions, because I did this for my devotional life for years, stories from the life of Jesus, but I needed to have Two more questions to make it more effective the fourth question was what shall i do about it now i know this what shall i do about it? well when i face a storm i don't know when i must go to jesus first but i had to ask a fifth question lizzie and that was because i decided to do that but sometimes i waited i didn't do it right away well i'll do it tomorrow morning and satan comes and steals the seed from the heart know. So the first question is this, the final question. When shall I do something about it? That's very precise. That really makes you decide right there and then. And the only answer I have now is yes. Lord convicted in my heart. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden you. Lord, right now, I want to pray and make that commitment.
0: Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of uh, the story of Daniel, where before he got into the king's palace, he purposed in his heart to do the right thing and so
1: you must have read my book dare to be a daniel <laughs> that's the first chapter
0: yeah you don't well... need
1: to read it you all know all about it <laughs> i have a book called dare to be a daniel empowering the file remnant focusing on daniel's character not so much on prophecy right how to emulate Daniel's example
0: yes
1: so he purposed in his heart already ahead of time he is not like A student who comes to my office, oh, Dr. Saman, I blew it. I feel so ashamed. What happened? Well, you know how I went to that party and things (laughs) began to happen. Like I played things by ear. (laughs) And one thing led to another. I said, did you purpose in your heart ahead of time? No. Right. What does that mean? Well, sit down. Let me tell you about it
0: right right, right yeah we need to we need to take what we've learned from scripture and apply it or at least determine that we're going to apply it before those hard times hit so that you know we can be scaffolded up by by what Jesus has for us there. So we've already kind of discussed a few of the resources um, because I do like to get really practical for our listeners when it comes to utilizing some of these, Bible study principles and, and getting into the resources and things. So as far as following those Bible study steps and having all of those questions in front of you, um, your your book on spiritual growth is, is a great resource. And then, of course, we mentioned um, the Messiah, the Mideast Messiah, as far as some of those cultural insights into Christ's ministry. And, and this was, this was a wonderful resource to me. Um, for for all those reasons that we've already talked about, right? Just the depths that we miss because we don't understand um, the cultural implications of some of the things. I mean, we 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 just scratch the surface, maybe, right? And then we, we, I we
1: do our best with what is available to us,
0: right? Right. That's why
1: people like me. Uh, that's people like me decide to be teachers, so we can teach something. Yes. And I don't sit behind my desk, and if a student has a question, they come to ask me. No, no, no. We teach in the class. We People learn something. So yes. you could have been my student, Lizzie, you would have done well. Yes. But, but you know so much, you don't need me. Now, What can I say a word about the book, Christ with Spiritual Works? Yes. The reason I decided to focus on the subject, because, you know, there was a time, I think still there's a time where there's a controversy about spiritual formation have you heard
0: about that spiritual like, formation you all have to tell me what you mean
1: teaching of spiritual formation is it influenced by new age spirituality mm. by eastern mysticism? Mm.
0: Uh,
1: what what teacher are we following so i felt i woke up one night in the middle of i said you know now i got the idea why should we follow any guru any new age ideas, any mysticism from the, the the Asia? Why not? Was Jesus spiritual? Of course. He was spiritual par excellence. The most spiritual person, genuinely spiritual. So why not write a book helping people to follow Christ's example of being spiritual? And right. now we don't have to worry about other people who want to teach it. Jesus is enough. So, you know, some people came to interview me when I was teaching this course and they said, you know, are you are you all mixed up with any Eastern mysticism? I said, No. We're here to check you out. Are you are you into Eastern Are you into New Age? No. Mm. Are you into yoga? Are you into um like transcendental meditation? I said, No. Well, show us the textbook you're using to find out. <laughs> so <laughs> I showed them this book here.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: it's Christ's way. Yes, I only believe in Christ's way. Well, who is the author of this? Must be a good book. And they read my (laughs) name here. I said, Oh, you're a detective. I said, Yes. I said, That's all I believe in. Christ's way to being genuine spiritual. Mm. And he's enough. Right. He's enough. I don't need and I, I don't need to go to anybody else he is our example that we we never go wrong if we follow Christ's example
0: absolutely amen yes so i'm grateful i'm grateful for the the books and and i'm grateful that god has blessed you with the ability to to write so clearly and to speak so clearly about your I wasn't his work. going to
1: mention my books i didn't want to personally promote my own <laughs> work but you are the one lindsay yes i up. did
0: it i did it because i think so it's a i blame valuable anybody
1: reason. i just blame you
0: yes to blame promoting me
1: my books yes but it's a good kind of blaming
0: yes and i've got another one that's not yours but this big bad boy right here this is just the old testament version of the background commentary mm-hmm. right And it's so it's a you good
1: can... reference very good reference
0: Yes, it's it's kind of like a dictionary inside of of In verses real... and all the background information that you could you could want and I've I've found that valuable.
1: People can google it, you know, online, enter certain words and they'll get some references.
0: Right, but you know, I there's just so much on Google sometimes and you and you, it just requires you to Yes, it requires you to check sources um, when when you're so why not make it, it simple?
1: Why not make it simple? Yes. Simplify, simplify. Therefore, you just <laughs> you just go to my book.
0: Absolutely. And <laughs>
1: and it makes it very simple for you.
0: Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I want a book that's already been scholarly researched by somebody who is vetted, and and then I can rely on that information. So,
1: and when I read. The stories from the life of Jesus, parables, then I I personally identify with them because I've seen that firsthand mm. in my culture. Yes. So it seems like Jesus is walking right there as I see the winnowing folk, as I see the parables being lived out. So, And that's why I enjoy teaching the Bible because, because it fits who I am.
0: You're and I enjoyed
1: this interview. You're a good Wonderful. interviewer for podcast. I like to give <laughs> you a good uh, recommendation.
0: Thank you. Well, I very really much appreciate your time. And I know that it was a little bit outside of your comfort zone to to use some of the technology that we're using to to record today. So I appreciate your patience and willingness to work through it. It's and... my
1: pleasure. I was blessed by it.
0: Good, good. I was was definitely blessed. And so I know our listeners are going to be blessed as well. Thank you for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Saman. Please like and follow so that you'll be notified of our future episodes as we post them. And don't forget to visit our website at BibleHowTo.com to learn how you can support our ministry.